Namaste. So today as part of Shurabindo's writings, introductory talks, we take up Collected Works of Shurabindo, Volume 5, which is titled as Translations. So it basically, as the name signifies, they are translations of works of other poets, mainly poets, uh, which is there in this, um, of course, also plays of Kalidas, which is there in this work. But it does not include all the translations. For instance, there are translations into Bengali from Sanskrit. They don't form part of this. They form part of Shurabindu's Bangla writing. Because they are tra- then the entire Vedas and Upanishadik, which is also a translation in a way from Sanskrit to English, that is not included here. They are in the appropriate volumes of Vedas and Upanishads. Then there are some translations from Mother's French prayers into English. They are part of uh, collected works of Shurabindu, volume 32. But otherwise, all other works... Translations are there and they range from the period in Baroda right up to the mid-40s, so nearly 50 years. It is evident that uh, Shurabindu would not have spent time in such a massive work, running into 600 pages, just for learning a language. Certainly not. Shurabindu was a master and he had his very interesting way, though you know there is an aspect of it. He had a very interesting way uh, with regard to learning a new language. So he would suggest that pick up the book, especially classic book, and start reading it. So it's like a discovery. So it's not about learning a language mentally, but it's about discovering a language, which is a very different thing from learning a language. When we learn a language, it's an intellectual process. But when we discover a language, then we go to the roots, we understand. Then, of course, there are words and everything associated. We have to look up to the meanings initially. But then we have to see the shade. So it gives us all the nuances of a language, which is something amazing. So here we have some of these translations. And then along with that, what struck me when I read the translations is that actually Shrabindu describes four ages of Indian spiritual literature. So you have the age of the Vedas, during which those translations though are there in, in the Vedic and the Upanishadic hymns. But we can say the age of the Ramayana, the first which comes is the Ramayana, period of Ramayana. So, Shobindu is regarded Valmiki, Vyas and Kalidas as the three greatest of poets of all times. And so much so, he has said that if all else in India was lost and these three remained, it would rebuild the entire India. That is the most important. Don't read anything else, but just read these three. Regarding the Mahabharata, he has said a person who has not read the Mahabharata uh, does not understand India. (laughs) So, to be an Indian, you should read, have read the Mahabharata. When one of the disciples asked him that which uh, edition and which one one should read, so very clearly, Shurabindu said that uh, he appreciated one of the Bengali Mahabharatas, which is with Kali Prasanna. I don't know, now I think translations are available, but it's a very old volume uh, in Bengali, which Shurabindu appreciated very much regarding the Mahabharata. Regarding Valmiki, he appreciated preferred Valmiki over all others. He said that Ramcharit Manas is wonderful. He did appreciate of all the other translations, translation of, you know, not translation, but the reenactment of the drama of Ramayana by Tulsidas. But he says it cannot touch the, the strength, power and the beauty of Valmiki. And all these are poetic works. Very few people are even aware that actually Ramayana and Mahabharata are poetry. 
they are not uh, words because we are so accustomed to read it as words it's poetry and poetry of the most sublime kind so we see the ramayana which is one age which is predominantly moral and ethical with always the the spiritual and the dharma is always there all through the literature but the predominant stress of ramayana is moral and ethical with the spiritual and dharma as the background in mahabharata the predominant stress is intellectual again with the dharma and the um uh, uh, spiritual standing behind and in kalidas the age of kalidas there is a series of essays on that so in kalidas we see predominantly aesthetic and even material and we'll see that how but again the spiritual and the dharma is in the background and he had presaged a fourth age which is yet to come which of course shobindo brings out is the full effulgence of the spiritual which will uh, override all these other three considerations all these three other aspects but the fourth part we see after these three uh, valmiki vyas and kalidas we see is dedicated to certain poets which are primarily the medieval poets of vaishnava tradition so whether it is the bengali poems of nidhu nidhu babu and others or in tamil tamil literature dating to 3000 bc and uh, he has basically taken up the vaishnava saints so it also shows that shurbindo's deep leaning on the vaishnava tradition the bhakti which is there so this is important because very often we portray shurbindo again and again as a philosopher uh, but shurbindo is very much um, also deeply in the heart and we see that in his that the poems he has picked up for translation and even among the poets in the ashram which are also you know those poets are i would say 10 times blessed whose poems have been translated by shirobindo specifically it is this those poems which are touched from the depths of the heart or come from some you know deeper aspect of the mind but primarily the heart you will see that in all these poems there are some notable absences in these translations of uh, you know ashram poets which i am not going to mention one can read it for oneself so that itself strikes you there are poets who normally one would regard as poet of a very high order but they are not translated by shobindo now one may say that 100 reasons but if shobindo has picked up something for translation we must also understand he is connecting himself to that um, age to that person to that poet and to that scripture so in a way he is revivifying just like when he brings to us the secret of the vedas the upanishads and essays on the gita as the mother says he has given a new life and a new power as with regard to the gita the mother said that the gita shobindo considered as that it will uh, it still have an impact on mankind it's very interesting the mother said about gita primarily that it is still necessary for humanity but with shobindo's new explanation its power has become manifold so i take it and actually if one reads through the translations so ob- obvious that um, these translations through these translations though they are incomplete portions from ramayana portions from mahabharata um, kalidas is much more vivid uh, portions from the gita the first six chapters and we'll talk about it just a little while so in all these translations we see though they are small portions but he touches upon and brings out as if the spirit of the time something which is deeply connected with the soul and the ethos so we'll go and as we go through it we'll see it by and by 
as we know this is this book is in five parts part 1 contains translations from sanskrit and uh, if you just read uh, the portions the ramayana so in ramayana he takes up interesting passages speech of dashrath an aryan city a mother's lament the wife sita and you know there is also a kekai when she speaks about an aryan city prose version the book of the wild forest aranyakand and the defeat of dhumra rakshas these stories many of us are familiar with and we know about dhumra rakshas he could not be killed by any weapons so so he he ultimately he himself gives the secret of his death because he cannot be killed by weapons he tries to carry mata sita he actually does the apparent kidnaps and then rama and sita ram and lakshman go behind him they shoot arrows and he is um, they make his body Uh, you know he gets tired he is struck by the arrows but he cannot be killed that that is the vardan he has received so the only way he can die is by being buried so he himself says that i know i have realized that you are the divine being and i know that you need to go further for your mission and i cannot be killed but this is what is that this is the time for which i was waiting i have tested and tried you and i know you are divine and i will get liberated if you kill me so please big uh, dig a ditch very big enough where my body can be buried alive that is the only way he can be killed now if i look at it both the name dhumrakshas and the burying it is about these subconscious uh, forces in man which are very active you can't destroy them so in in that age dhumrakshas alive in the pit uh, will wake up in the <laughs> Kaliyog, because it has to be transformed. Only Shivendra's supramental force can transform it. So it's a very deeply symbolic story. But let me read this part, which is very fascinating. Uh, so um, Sita she tells Rama that you are going to the forest, and I'll accompany you. And look at the speech. Now I'm sure people who have who, who have read Sanskrit and read the original Valmiki. Uh, would appreciate the poetic beauty which is there in Valmiki. Very extremely sensitive poet. He is a man of the heart. Unlike the Mahabharata, seems to come right from the higher ranges. Very terse po- poem, but with Valmiki's poem, it's a different story altogether. But uh, Shurabindo, I go with thee this day. Deny who will, nor aught shall turn me. Fear not, thou lest I should burden thee, since gladly I elect life upon fruits and roots, and still before thee shall walk, not faltering with fatigue. Eat only thy remnants after hunger satisfied. This is the age he brings out the spirit of the age, the feminine, the woman of that age, who is somebody would say it is weakness. Another way of looking at it is this is strength, sublime strength, tremendous strength. nor greater bliss conceive oh i desire that life desire to see the large wide lakes the cliff of the great mountains the dim tarns not frightened since thou art beside me so this is so beautifully that you know i why it's a happy thing no i'll go into the forest and i'll see the lakes the mountains why should i be frightened because you are beside me and visit fair waters sun beset in lovely bloom in the heroic guard my life shall be a happy wandering among beautiful things so this is how she describes the entire 
and then finally she says and this is the kind of ideal so he brings out the ideal of the feminine now in modern time with a kind of a liberal education largely tainted with the western lens it has got completely corrupted so now this uh, equality is where the each nature arrives at its highest even among men like the kshatriya type the um, the vaishya type same with the with the women so there is the feminine which can touch its high peaks of glory and what is this um, glory that it it is touch touched so look at this uh, she is going for um, 14 years in exile with rama but what does she say thus if a hundred years should pass or many millenniums yet i should not tire nor change this is the kind of love it's not that it's 14 years therefore i am going with you but even if there was a millennium still i would be with you for wandering so not heaven itself would seem desirable but this were rather heaven o rama paradise and thou not there no paradise were to my mind i should grow miserable and reject the bliss i rather mid the gloomy and tangled boughs and sylvan haunts of elephant and ape clasping my husband's feet intent to lie obedient glad and feel about me home so this was the high ideal that those days was there both men and women it's not only about that women at the ideal even rama had to you know portray that highest kind just imagine now if you look at the degradation today okay people pick up one part which is about the abandonment banishment which are deeply symbolic things we have spoken about it and even if we take a blot on the life of rama if one wants to put it like that but look at their ideal on one side is sita choosing to be by the side of the husband even urmila she doesn't you know she chooses that life because somebody has to look after with this view but look at sita choosing to be by the side of her husband not knowing what is going to happen and her husband is a crown prince he is a king literally and uh, she doesn't curse the kingdom doesn't and she walks with him on the other side rama for the sake of his um, spouse he marches across to lanka uh, which in ordinary circumstances somebody would say why are you doing this either you renounce life or get married again why are you going and doing this she never gets married again that's the ideal of rama right till the end he never gets married again so this is the kind of love that sita and rama have portrayed and that's why it is said that history passes the final verdict we may say that oh rama did this and sita was this and that but in no temple of india you have sita without rama and rama without sita they are the portrayed as a kind of ideal couple whom death could not destroy part and even her going back to earth still they remain united they are strength of each other now this is something very fascinating then sita with the tears upon her face made answer very sad and low many sorrows and perils of that forest life because rama says i sure you know you know what jungle life is <laughs> thou hast pronounced discovered dreadful ills o rama they are joys if born for thee this is love it's not duty it is love because of which one is willing to bear anything oh how can woman from a husband's arms divorce exists thy own words have revealed rama it's sad impossibility 
Then there is another part which is the Mahabharata. So in Mahabharata we see um, Shubhendra describing the Sabha Parv, the building of the hall, Indraprastha, and uh, the debated sacrifice, the slaying of Jarasandh, uh, then fragments, two renderings of the first Adhyaya, Udyog Parv, then the Bhagavad Gita, the first six, six chapters. So Shubhendra regarded the first six chapters of the Mahabharata as uh, of the Gita as the most important of all the uh, as the most important because uh, they set the foundation of the entire Gita so we read the same thing in uh, Shobindo's uh, Bangla writings where you know the commentaries on the Gita are there and those who want to know the line by line translation sloka by sloka so here we will find it So here also as well as in his Bangla writings Gita Bhumika so there first six chapters he has translated and he says very clearly that First six chapter, Shri Krishna lays the foundation of the yoga, which he expands in the next six chapter and gives it a f- culmination in the next six chapter. So eighteen chapters run as cycles of six plus six plus six. And actually, if you see the first six chapters, start with Gyan Yoga, Buddhi Yoga, let your Buddhi be sthit in me. Then it goes on to Karma Yoga, and it ends with somebody who is concentrated and devoted to me, constantly thinking of me. So all the three aspects are there. It goes as jnana, karma and bhakti. Again we see in the next six chapters they are expanded. There are some processes and who is the divine being towards whom we do bhakti. Who is Krishna? And then in the last six chapters again we see the jnana when it comes to you know the different aspects of nature and the different types of uh, you know devasuri, sampada. All these aspects which are about jnana, the triguna nature and at the end it culminates in bhakti where Entire surrender and refuge in God is commanded. Now there is another very interesting writing which Shurabindo uh, wrote, um, touched upon and that is uh, Vidula. Now I am sure some people may have heard about Vidula but it is a very fascinating story comes from the Mahabharata. So Vidula is the story of um, you know when Shri Krishna goes to give the final message of as the Shanti Dut, as the uh, ambassador of peace to Duryodhana. So he tells and Duryodhana reject and that is history we all know. So he goes to Kunti and says what is your message to my, to your children because he is staying in uh, with the you know Kaurava family. So, so it is very interesting because she had chosen that place as her own uh, battle ground. And uh, he asks that, what is your message to your children? Because see, now war is inevitable. What do you advise? So see, in front of all the elders of the family, she doesn't say anything directly. She says, tell them Krishna the story of Vidula. So what is Vidula's story? Vidula's story is that <laughs> there is this uh, prince and who is defeated by the king of Jarasandh. And he accepts the defeat and he says, okay, fine, I'll, you know, live on whatever way, like a subject and slave. So Vidula, his mother, she comes and rouses him. He says, what kind of a wretched son you are? Is this what I expect of you? So he says, mother, why are you doing this to me? He says, what else? Better you die than actually, you know, live like a slave. He says, mother, you are being so harsh to me like an iron rod. You really want me to die? He says, yes, better you die. Than to live as a subject. 
and the dialogue goes on till finally the boy is roused and he says okay i'll fight and he fights and wins so he doesn't say anything directly but says okay shiva go and just recount this story in all the details as you know it so see krishna says this is the message of your mother she knows very well that except bhima probably all other pandavas may succumb to okay after all my brothers yudhishthir will speak of dharma then arjuna will always you know dharma maybe but my grandsire and all this only bhima will say and it's a fact that except bhima and draupadi nobody wanted the war they were all not because they were afraid but because of dharma only bhima was i'm going to kill them <laughs> and uh, and draupadi was very clear that she wants the war so the story of vidhla is recounted and that too Shubhendu has beautifully, uh, you know. I wanted to read something on Arjuna and Sri Krishna in in the Gita as it is described beautifully here. But for the moment, we can leave it because it will make the whole thing very lengthy. But the book is available and one can read it. But just a little bit of the Vidula story. So Shubhendu, hearken to the ancient converse of which old traditions tell of the youthful sanjay with his mother the indomitable sanjay is the boy the prince so uh, kunti is telling krishna hearken listen and all the elders are present so they know now kunti's mind very well and they know what is going to happen so like a kshatriya mother vidula the passionate princess royal in her mood and form it's all through viras very sold fiery soul the resolute speaker with a tameless heart of storm high her fame in kingly senates where the nations princes met this from the mahabharata but see the shubhendu's translation i mean it captures a much deeper spirit at least i have read the story not the original sanskrit but it doesn't carry that kind of fire must be in sanskrit it must be there but when you actually read shubhendu's translation looks like he has picked up the fire and put it in the body of english word and this vidula story and many others uh, shubhendu wrote during the um, 1905 to 1910 period so it was his way of awakening the people eloquent and proud and learned with a soul forcing fate conquered by the king of sindhu hurled down from his lofty throne as he lay unnerved and abject came she to her warlike son vidula the passionate princess and she spoke with burning eyes scourging him with words like flakes of fire bidding him arise son she cried son she cried no son of mine to make thy mother's heart rejoice <laughs> so powerful and when you read the bhavani bharti you get the similar um, you know sense hark thy foemen mock and triumph yet to live is still thy choice <laughs> what is he saying you want to live when your enemies are crying and enjoying and laughing and mocking you want to choose to live nor thy hero father got thee nor i bore thee in my womb says i disown you and so does your father <laughs> you cannot be my child random changeling from some world of petty souls and coward gloom it seems you randomly come upon earth from some world of cowards <laughs> and then the boy says mother mother stony natured ore of pitiless iron black heaven collected and together forged thy dreadful heart to make mother 
mind heroic minded high disdaining common mold that you are a mind you have the mind of the hero you disdain the common mold dreadful is the warrior code of ethics that our princes hold harsh devoid of love and sweetness thou my mother drivest me on to the battle like a stranger like another woman's son says as if i am somebody else's son you're sending me to war am i not thy child has any other in thy love a part <laughs> look what all he is saying to his mother yet thy words are harsh and ruthless will it please thy fiery heart if i lie in battle and cold and instead thou own the earth what were all life splendor what were bright and fair things worth when thine eyes seek me in vain will these things soothe their sad desire is i'll die mother <laughs> literally crying you will enjoy the earth you want to live after my death is this what you want but the mother answered still with words that breathed her soul of fire dear my son for joy and sorrow twofold is the great life scope to be righteous in our actions to fulfill each human hope private welfare high religion both alike should urge thee on whether you take the dharma standpoint or you take the standpoint of private welfare it has come at last the mightiest hour of all thy life o son so this is how you know it is i is i i mean i am not an expert on sanskrit of vyasa uh, and valmiki but i can say that if you read this it looks like ye kafi hai this is enough so he has breathed a new life in these scriptures he has breathed a new fire and this is an action this is spiritual action occult action of shirbindo that he picks up a fire which is still smoldering that's how he could say that what is india he says that though the it's like a mighty building and though its ramparts are broken still there is service paid to the eternal that is the hindu sanatan dharma and he says that this uh, the spirit of india that is never dead it smolders beneath the ashes and the day it rises there'll be no limit so this is the way he was reviving the ancient spirit of india and picking up see people know about all other thing but this dialogue little dialogue between the mother and son in a relatively unknown story vidula is something so remarkable the same thing it does does with sabitri it's a story recounted in the mahabharata but of course he takes it far beyond the scope and then of course so vidula is the last one in this uh, second section of part 1 and then there is kalidas now kalidas we know is a very fascinating um, you know one of the greatest sanskrit poets perhaps the greatest shobindo says is the greatest and his images is um, extremely beautiful and he can blend so beautifully shringaras and bring in the dharma element and the spiritual element so much in beautiful ways and it is said that he was probably one of the persons in king vikramaditya's court uh, as the story goes that his wife told him three sentences um, what have you brought for me about learning three words he took those three words and with each word wrote a mahakavya so that was that is kalidas and there are lot of fables and legends about kalidas but uh, certainly shobindo has written series of essays on the age of kalidas and they are also there so uh, kalidas is uh, 
not just any poet but imagine i sometimes feel that probably he himself must have been kalidas that kind of familiarity portrays and what stories he has chosen and shorbindo translates them vikram urvashi or the hero and the nymph now we know that in collected poems also shorbindo has written this entire episode of vikram urvashi and so we have talked about the story there and again as part of kalidas in a play form he writes vikram and the or the hero and nymph and the beauty of this is uh, it runs into several sections Uh, i have sometimes earlier also spoken of this it starts with a description of the himalayas somehow to me when i read this description or read this description it could only remind me of shirvind sitting majestically on the sofa with both hands placed here but the description is of himalaya so that's how it a god mid hills northern himalaya rears his snow piled summits dizzy majesties and in the eastern and the western seas he bathes his giant sides lean down appears measuring the dreaming earth in an enormous ease such is himalaya just look at should be just applied a god mid hills northern himalaya rears so there is a god whom the himalayas rear and what is that god his snow piled summits dizzy majesties if we try to rise to the heights we get dizzy and breathless and in the eastern and the western seas now this east and west can be the two streams or currents of life he bathes his giant sides lain down appears measuring the dreaming earth in an enormous ease so easily is measuring so this uh, is vikram urvashi is there and then there is um, another play the birth of the war god and this of course we know is about kumar sambhav it's but kalidas has given it a new twist so kumar sambhav is the story of the birth of kartike as we know tarkasura has got an impossible boon he cannot be killed except through a progeny of shiva and he believes that shiva will never marry he is an ascetic not knowing that shiva is going to become a trend setter <laughs> trending twitter <laughs> shiva gets married ascetic gets married so he believed that shiva will never get married that was his limitation but shiva initially says i won't get married so the divine mother is born as parvati and she tries to please shiva so this story of kalidas is primarily around the love and the pleasantries between shiva and parvati it's not so much about of course everything is there that finally kartike is born and you know she's because of the tapasya he is pleased but there is lot of shingar and love by through which he please he pleases shiva so this is the story of kumar sambhavam and then we have this uh, the third beautiful uh, uh, play by kalidas is raghuvansh so shubhendra is translated is the line of raghu so it starts with he has narrated all the different progenies or ancestors of lord rama it's because of him that we know all the ancestors starts with king dilip and how raghu comes into birth that's how the ancestry start and goes right through king aj then sagar bhagirath all these people dashrath rama kush many people ask that what happened to love kush so kalidas describes so uh, when love and kush go to two different direction then the city of ayodhya and her godhead being goes and tells kush please come back because it's abandoned and barren 
So Kush comes back and he re-establishes and starts the kingdom of Ayutthaya. That's how the story goes. And then Kush has a progeny and further it goes right up to, uh, I think, uh, Agnimitra, one of the names. And all these uh, different, I think, 19 uh, generations from Dilip onwards and further down from Rama he is described. So that story is all, and Rama he is described, almost the major portions of Ramayana, the, the Supankha episode, the banishment into the forest, the killing of Ravana, all the major episodes are described. So it's a massive work and um, very far-reaching in concept. Those who want to know um, that, you know, who were, who were the great ancestors of Rama? So there we will see. So Raghukul, we hear about Lord Rama as Raghukul. So Raghu is the son of Dilip. And that's how the famous thing goes. Raghukul Reet Sada Chaliyai Pran Jai Parvachana Jai. So they, uh, they were known for holding their promises and the Dharma. So this is what Raghuvansh. And finally the cloud messenger. So this is something which I have found very interesting for a different reason altogether. Cloud Messenger is a very, very sweet and touching tale of a yaksha who has been cursed or abandoned by Indra for his misbehavior or whatever to be in the Vindhya mountains. You will not go anywhere. Now, that's okay. But his wife is in Alkapuri. So he doesn't know how to talk to her. Now, look at it. There were no... Uh, SMS, there were no mobiles. But what is the cloud messenger? Was he presaging internet? Because if you look at it from a purely scientific perspective, after all, what is internet? It goes into space through the electrical charges and goes back to the other, isn't it? But it's described in this way that he catches a cloud and says, Oh cloud, I am missing her so much. Please go and convey my message. Look at it, the message. <laughs> SMS. <laughs> so the cloud says, but why should I do it? So he gives him good reasons. That you will never get to see such a beautiful place and such a beautiful maiden in your life as my wife and a city. So after some time, cloud says, okay, fine. <laughs> Tell me, describe, how is the place? So he describes Alkapuri. And then he says, okay, I'll go to Alkapuri, then uh, how do I find my, my, your wife? Then he describes the entire figure and form with such a marvel of beauty. You know, I think in Hellenic traditions you have this sense of physical beauty. But we lost it, but Kalidas revives it. Just the physical beauty and the form which he describes, exquisitely beautiful. Actually, if you, I, I read it as a young adolescent, you can fall in love with the woman whom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yaksha is describing all in every way and even her speech everything is so beautiful about her she's the gentlest of the gentle at the same I mean it's it's an amazing he has portrayed the most perfect feminine in his own way an idealized woman of Kalidas becomes an idealized archetype in the world of men idealized feminine so in a way he was actually countering he was so much into the future that later on probably men will just see the outer appearances of what kind, what really appearances should be, what even the form should be, not what our conception of outer beauty is, which is largely, you know, not sensuous, not even voluptuous, but in a way something which is very loud, perfume, all this, uh, I don't know, lipstick and too much of uh, uh, outer things 
and the dresses but here he describes a idealized feminine beauty a beauty of form through the cloud messenger and i, I said maybe he was too much into the future and yet pre says the age of internet when literally we'll send messages through the cloud so the so the cloud messenger it's one of the must reads it's very beautiful uh, i think plays have been done on it and uh, songs are also available i uh, long back i don't know whether it's available now or not i'd heard the whole thing on cassette make do thumbs it's it's wonderful the the and if you can have get hold of the dance drama but please read shobindo's rendering Uh, you know have i noted a little bit yeah no i, I haven't but anyways it's worth reading is something very beautiful then comes a very interesting person in section 4 of part 1 bharti hari bhartri hari bhartri hari has many legends around him he was uh, a king he was also a yogin and uh, but some people say that he was probably not a king but one of the prominent courtiers in a in uh, during a king's rule probably vikramaditya we don't know but he is very much close to the age of kalidas but kalidas is marvelous majestic bhartri is bhartri hari is more restricted but within those limits he brings in lot of beauty he is more moral and uh, ethical whereas kalidas is more aesthetic Uh, more beauty oriented kalidas has his own ethics which he brings out but his ethics is based on aesthetics whereas bhartri hari is more on the limited uh, you know moral understanding of life so it's called niti shatakam the 101 the century of life later on people have added all kinds of things around him but shurbindu says that uh, one is niti shatakam niti is not just morality but in general the way of understanding life and uh, how it you know operates and giving us certain advices words of wisdom so niti shatakam is that and there are 100 um, uh, you know verses there and shubhendu has translated all of them so here comes two of them there are plenty which are very good one of them is supposedly based on his own story that i gave uh, the king gave or rather the dancer gave uh, the 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 tapasvi gave the uh, fruit to the king and the king passed it on to his wife and the wife passed it on to the minister whom she loved and the minister passed it on to the courtesan whom she loved he loved and the courtesan gave it back to the king because she loved him so it says fi upon love <laughs> this kind of love which exists upon earth but this may not be actually uh, his own life maybe but it definitely is a tale which describes human love with a very sharp uh, and you know almost like a verdict that this what human love is you think that you love the person yes the person will portray that the person loves you but actually she loves somebody else now she loves somebody else she believes that she loves him and he loves her but he loves someone else and so it goes on but th- this love which you have released in the world will come back to you but from a very unexpected source so eventually that this love comes back to him but through a courtesan he had never imagined and that's how he gets the shock of his life when the same amrit phal <laughs> goes and it's a very wonderful and he has told this in one of the you know verses so one is a choice is very interesting and uh, people often make a choice to live in some place you know some want to go to paradise some to heaven some in a very you know beautiful place with 
this or that facilities so bhartri hari says better wear this actually this phrase is well known in english better wear this to roam in deserts wild on difficult mountains and by desolate pools a savage life with wild beasts reconciled better it is better than what so i'll read again better wear this to roam in deserts wild on difficult mountains and by desolate pools a savage life with wild beasts reconciled than paradise itself mated with fools <laughs> you may be in paradise but with fools around it's not worth it better you roam in the savages <laughs> wild <laughs> and this one is one of my favorites a parable of fate so how fate operates so he brings out that paradox a serpent in a basket crushed despaired in whose basket the sapera the snake charmer's basket his organs all with hunger weak and worn because that's how they keep na otherwise he'll become active and bite his organs all with hunger weak and worn while patiently at night the mouse prepared a hole in that self basket why because he is also hungry he says i'll make a hole and go and eat something earth man by his own industry such nature's law the patient laborer fills the serpent's maw so the hole is there he prepares so that he can eat something the mouse is also hungry mouse can eat through it and the snake is all worn out doesn't know what will happen to me nature's law so by his own industry the mouse is laboring to fill the serpent's belly so he enters the serpent eats the mouse and comes out through the same hole that's how the fate operates so this is uh, it continues he with that food replenished who is he the serpent he with that food replenished by the way the mouse had made escaped oh world oh world behold the mighty master of thy sad decay and fortunate rising fate the god had told that you know that's how fate operates you may be downtrodden in a worse state right now who knows the next moment you'll be a free person all roaming and right now you think you are the king because you can do anything enter anywhere and you are preparing for your own death for your own danger so shubindu says kalidas and bhartri hari are the two mightiest masters of the characteristic classical style as it was at its best before it degenerated into over curiosity over curiosity is where the mind becomes very active and we know that uh, in this whole thing the he also translated in section 5 um, opening of kirat arjun this we know that kirat arjun is a in fact regarded as the most powerful sanskrit epic drama uh, written by bhavari and he, this is about that little episode it's full of virras and it's about so we see that should be that that time baji prabhu all this were about virras so it's about uh, that little episode when uh, all the pandavas are in exile and um, bhima and draupadi say that you guys are useless i'll go and fight and yudhishthir says what is the use stay cool and all then krishna comes and he says arjun and indra god indra also appears and he he tells him 
all this discussion you can do later right now prepare in case there is war you should be prepared so this is what i have to do you have to do penance so one year he goes to do penance now in this kirat arjun all this is described so when he is doing penance indra gets uh, he has advice and he gets this thing frightness rise and all the apsaras and he wants krishna to fall in love with the apsaras but the apsaras fall in love with krishna uh, with arjuna because he carries some anush of krishna so he says what is this <laughs> he has given an interesting twist to the whole story and then ultimately there is this devan muka who becomes that wild boar and arjun and uh, shiva as kirat he comes and they both shoot an arrow and actually uh, kirat or shiva as kirat pierces and arjun also pierces so arjun says this is my my hunt so he says no this is mine i pierced first so arjun says who are you who can challenge me you really think you are somebody <laughs> just come out of my way so he says acha is it so prove your worth he says are you sure you will be dropped dead within a minute so he says no no you prove yourself so there is a fight which ensues between shiva as kirat and arjuna the tapasvi and <laughs> at the end arjuna says nobody can fight with arjuna the mighty armed arjuna for so long the fact that you have done and made me nishastra literally you cannot be a human being you have to be none else but shiva yourself and then he lies at his feet and shiva appears and gives him pashupatastra so there is the story of pashupatastra the most devastating weapon in the entire history of um, you know old age time weapon it's not brahmastra it's not agniastra it's pashupatastra because it's the weapon of shiva the destroyer fortunately arjun never used it but in one moment it could destroy not even the earth but even the planet so that was the power but he had it and that's why in that opening of mahabharata everybody discusses who can destroy in how much time so bhishma can do it in one day and dronacharya says in uh, six days and karna says 10 days i can destroy the entire pandava army and when all this news reaches yudhishthir he says arjun we are banking upon you how much time will you take he says if i want in a moment i can destroy the entire army he says how he says because of pashupatastra it's a different thing that krishna had advised him and he followed it never to use it he said i can destroy in one moment because pashupatastra is like everything is gone whomever you direct towards is decimated within a moment and much other kinds of destruction because it's like a tandav so that aspect shobinda wanted to take up obviously it's tremendous virus but only a little fragment but it shows the kind of uh, affinity or or what was shobinda bringing out the virus from all over so vidula the mahabharata the ramayana where sita follows because you know that was the time when uh, men were going for sacrifice and what if their wives didn't support them what if they said no 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 you be a family person so all that we see throughout running through and even in kalidas when we look at it you know again vikram morvashi is also a heroic tale he conquers in the devasur sangram that's how he you know and cloud messenger that even if you have to be away there are ways and means through which you can connect the line of raghu raghuvansh so kumar sambhav the war god were birth of the war god so all these are where we see that tremendous virus coming and at the end of it this part 1 we have shankaracharya's bhavani uh, bhavani ashtakam but only uh, part of it should be this disc, uh, translated not the entire father nor mother daughter nor son are mine i obey no master served am i by none learning or means i have not wife nor kin 
माई रिफ्यूज दाओ भवानी दावेलोन गतिस्तोम गतिस्तोम गतिस्तवा भवानी चैरिटी हैव नॉट लर्न योगा नॉट ट्रांस मंत्रा नॉर हिम नॉट तंत्र हैव आई नोन वर्शिप नॉट डेडिकेशन कोविनेंट माई रिफ्यूज दाओ भवानी दावेलोन वर्चू इज नॉट माइंड नॉर होली पिलग्रिमेज salvation or world joy i have never won devotion i have not mother no vows i pledge my refuge thou bhavani thou alone so this is the part 1 part 2 translations from from bengali this mainly vaishnava devotional poetry and we'll not go into it but they mainly it is chandidas actually we have touched upon it in collected poems where it is written as inspired from chandidas the reason why they have written inspired is because shurbito's translations are the bhava translation he brings the spirit without losing the substance and the basic thing and he says that in the beginning that to translate uh, this is the process actually he says that somewhere in the beginning yes so he speaks about translation the principle of translation followed has been to preserve faithfully the thought spirit and images of the original but otherwise to take the full license of a poetical rendering because it's poetry that is the problem with translating shurbindo's poems or savitri you can't do a word by word translation into a sentences you may be faithful to the words but you are not faithful to the spirit and the rhythm it sound so he has kept that and we see it's a poetic translation so the images will be there the thought will be there so actually that's why the mother says savitri is untranslatable and then she said you can do it for your own joy like she did in french but it is not something to be translated and you know uh, sold or read like that because it cannot be that the only one which comes a little close is vidyavati kokels because it's in words and portions done by nalini dai in bengali but otherwise if you don't have the rhythm you just cannot translate it and uh, he both mother and shubhendra spoken about it in translation from one european tongue into another a careful literalness may not be out of place for the genius sentence structure and terms of thought of european languages are not very dissimilar but the gulf between sanskrit and english in these respects is very wide and any attempt at close verbal rendering would be disaster so he has made it very clear that that's not the way to be followed and then you have the famous so there are plenty of them nidhu babu horo thakur gonadas and vidyapati and uh, i mean those who are familiar we can go back vidyapati songs are amazing just to read them actually when i had read the translation so i went back to vidyapati songs because i said let me read <laughs> extremely sensuous sublimation of a most human vital love into the higher spiritual that's what vaishnava poetry actually tried human love of the most sensuous kind and lift it to a great heights but shurbindo later on remarked that uh, all could not sustain it so many fell so all love became in some people all lust because it's very difficult to do that but they tried it and then we have bankim chandra where bande matram has been translated and of course uh, 15 13 or 15 chapters of bande matram initially 13 then two were added it's not complete translation of the entire book but he has translated from bengali to english and again we can understand those were the times when this was needed and shubhendra spoke of bankim chand chatterjee as a rishi and he gave the mantra bande matram so we have that translation uh, then section 3 is chitranjan das songs of the sea this is a very strange story Shubhendu never wanted to translate it. 
So, but it reminds you of the story of Yagnvalk. Yagnvalk needed the cows. So he goes and tells in King Janak that, uh, well, I don't know whether I am the greatest Brahman knower or not, but for my ashram I need the cows. So you can pack the cows for me. And that's when people question him. So that was the time when Shurabindo needed money. He was so hard pressed. They didn't know what is going to come next. So Chitranjan Das approached him and requested to translate his uh, Bengali poems into English for a thousand rupees. This is the story. (laughs) (laughs) He's the one who had fought for Shurabindo and you know, uh, of course, but... Uh, he said, I, I will give the money, but can you translate with your name? And of course, this was Shubhinder's way of also connecting with him, his consciousness. But he says at, at, in one of the, I think, evening talks, he says, my heart was not into it. I mean, it was not, he says, it's good poetry. But like, that shows also that he was not just picking up good poetry. There was something else he was seeing. But this one was an exception. <laughs> <laughs> only exception. And then you have disciples and others in which uh, we have Anil Baran Roy, Dujendra Lal Roy, uh, Dilip Kumar Roy, um, Jyotir Mai, Niroda, Nishikanto and Sahana. My favorite is um, Sahana the poem. So let me just uh, read that poem and then we go to that last part. Sahana this poem. It's very beautiful, touching. He says that in many poems, like Nishukanto Dilipura, but the one that Shurabindu has translated, it's there available in this book. It's worth etching and putting in the, you know, one's own house as a constant reminder. The poem runs, it's in Bengali, Shurabindu has translated into English. Since thou hast called me, since thou hast called me, see that I go not from thee. Surrounding me stand. So beautiful. It's all flow from the soul. It's your responsibility. You have called me. Make sure that I don't go away from you. Surround me. Stand in thy own love's diviner way. Make me to love thee without end. So beautiful it is. (laughs) I don't have the capacity to love you. But you have your love. On that I lean my hope. Make me love you. Till, you know, without end. My fathomless blackness has thou cleft with thy infinity of light. Sanadi is a very interesting, you know, she used to write to mother and Shurabindu would reply. She would write in Bengali. But mother. And Shurabindu would reply. She is the one who would see, write, wrote once, hey, you know, I need to, I, I have strong desire to eat this, that, and all these things. And at the end, Shubindu writes, eat your desire. <laughs> so, that way. And many other very beautiful stories of Sahanadi, her book is very uh, beautiful book, where uh, it's called 40 years, hence of 40 years, just 40 years. 40 long years, forget the book. I don't know whether it's available now or not. But if you can catch hold of it, it's there on Aroma if I'm not mistaken. And it's an amazing book about uh, how she came and how she lived. And her question answer. She's the one who asked that when people speak against you, uh, others say it's okay, but my heart gets inflamed. What should I do? And Shubhindu speaks about taking the stand, which is there in, you know, one of his famous letters. So... This is Sahanadi. So my fathomless blackness has thou cleft with thy infinity of light. 
then waken in my mortal voice thy music of illumined sight she was a singer i think tailoring department was started by her if i am not mistaken is that right uh, so tailoring department ha huh. so uh, and of course she was a singer those were the days in the ashram when it was not like okay fixed thing and um, uh, you know she would sing so beautifully she went through a lot of pain that's a different thing she came with namaste so today as part of uh, shurbindo's writings introductory talks we take up collected works of shurbindo volume 5 which um, is titled as translations so it basically as the name signifies they are translations of works of other poets mainly poets uh, which is there in this um, of course also plays of kalidas which is there in this work but it does not include all the translations for instance there are translations into bengali from sanskrit they don't form part of this they form part of shirbindu's bangla writing because they are tra- then the entire vedas and upanishadic which is also a translation in a way from sanskrit to english that is not included here they are in the appropriate volumes of vedas and upanishad then there are some translations from mother's french prayers into english they are part of uh, collected works of shirbindu volume 32 but otherwise all other works translations are there and they range from the period in baroda right up to the mid 40s so nearly 50 years it is evident that uh, shirbindu would not have spent time in such a massive work running into 600 pages just for learning a language certainly not shirbindu was a master and he had his very interesting way though you know there is an aspect of it he had a very interesting way uh, with regard to learning a new language so he would suggest that pick up the book especially classic book and start reading it so it's like a discovery so it's not about learning a language mentally but it's about discovering a language which is a very different thing from learning a language when we learn a language it's an intellectual process but when we discover a language then we go to the roots we understand then of course there are words and everything associated we have to look up to the meanings initially but then we have to see the shade so it gives us all the nuances of a language which is something amazing so here we have uh, some of these translations and then along with that what struck me when i read the translations is that actually shrivindu describes four ages of indian spiritual literature so you have the age of the vedas during which those translations though are there in in the vedic and the upanishadic hymns but we can say the age of the ramayana the first which comes is the ramayana period of ramayana so shobindu regarded valmiki vyas and kalidas as the three greatest of poets of all times and so much so he has said that if all else in india was lost and these three remained it would rebuild the entire india that is the most important don't read anything else but just read these three regarding the mahabharata he has said a person who has not read the mahabharata uh, does not understand india <laughs> so <laughs> to be an indian you should read have read the mahabharata when one of the disciples asked him that which uh, edition and which one one should read so very clearly shurbindu said that uh, he appreciated one of the bengali mahabharatas which is with kali prasanna i don't know now i think translations are available but it's a very old volume uh, 
uh, in Bengali, which Shurabindu appreciated very much regarding the Mahabharata. Regarding Valmiki, he preferred Valmiki over all others. He said that Ramcharit Manas is wonderful. He did appreciate of all the other translations, translation of, you know, not translation, but the reenactment of the drama of Ramayana by Tulsidas. But he says it cannot touch the, the strength, power and the beauty of Valmiki. And all these are poetic works. Very few people are even aware that actually Ramayana and Mahabharata are poetry. They are not uh, words because we are so accustomed to read it as words. It's poetry and poetry of the most sublime kind. So we see the Ramayana, which is one age, which is predominantly moral and ethical. With always the, the spiritual and the dharma is always there all through the literature. But the predominant stress of Ramayana is moral and ethical. With the spiritual and dharma as the background. In Mahabharata, the predominant stress is intellectual. Again with the dharma and the um, uh, spiritual standing behind. And in Kalidas, the age of Kalidas, there is a series of essays on that. So in Kalidas, we see predominantly aesthetic and even material. And we will see that how. But again the spiritual and the dharma is in the background. And he had presaged a fourth age which is yet to come. Which of course Shubhindu brings out is the full effulgence of the spiritual. Which will uh, override all these other three considerations, all these three other aspects. But the fourth part we see after these three, uh, Valmiki, Vyas and Kalidas, we see is dedicated to certain poets which are primarily the medieval poets of Vaishnava tradition. So whether it is the Bengali poems of Nidhu, Nidhu Babu and others or in Tamil, Tamil literature dating to 3000 BC and uh, he has basically taken up the Vaishnava saints. So it also shows that Shurabindu's deep leaning on the Vaishnava tradition, the bhakti which is there. So this is important because very often we portray Shurabindu again and again as a philosopher. Uh, but Shurabindu is very much um, also deeply in the heart and we see that in his the, the poems he has picked up for translation. And even among the poets in the ashram, which are also, you know, those poets are, I would say, ten times blessed whose poems have been translated by Shirobindo. Specifically, it is this, those poems which are touched from the depths of the heart or come from some, you know, deeper aspect of the mind, but primarily the heart. You will see that in all these poems. There are some notable absences in these translations of, uh, you know, ashram poets, which I am not going to mention, one can read it for oneself. So that itself strikes you. That there are poets whom normally one would regard as poet of a very high order, but they are not translated by Shurabindu. Now, one may say that, hundred reasons, but if Shurabindu has picked up something for translation, we must also understand he is connecting himself to that um, age, to that person, to that poet and to that scripture. So, in a way, he is revivifying, just like when he brings to us the secret of the Vedas, the Upanishads and essays on the Gita, as the mother says, he has given a new life and a new power. As With regard to the Gita, the mother said that the Gita, Shobindo considered as that it will, uh, it still have an impact on mankind. It's very interesting, the mother said about Gita primarily, that it is still necessary for humanity, but with Shobindo's new explanation, its power has become manifold. So, I 
take it and actually if one reads through the translations so ob- obvious that um, these translations through these translations though they are incomplete portions from ramayana portions from mahabharata um, kalidas is much more vivid Uh, portions from the gita the first six chapters and we'll talk about it just a little while so in all these translations we see though they are small portions but he touches upon and brings out as if the spirit of the time something which is deeply connected with the soul and the ethos so we'll go and as we go through it we'll see it by and by as we know this is this book is in five parts part 1 contains translations from sanskrit and uh, if you just read uh, the portions the ramayana see in ramayana he takes up interesting passages speech of dashrath an aryan city a mother's lament the wife sita and you know there is also a kekai when she speaks about an aryan city prose version the book of the wild forest aranyakand and the defeat of Dhumra Rakshas. These stories many of us are familiar with, and we know about Dhumra Rakshas. He could not be killed by any weapons, so so he he ultimately he himself gives the secret of his death because he cannot be killed by weapons. He tries to carry Mata Sita. He actually does the upper and kidnaps, and then Rama and Sita, Rama and Lakshman go behind him. They shoot arrows, and he is um, they make his body. Uh, you know he gets tired he is struck by the arrows but he cannot be killed that that is the vardan he has received so the only way he can die is by being buried so he himself says that i know i have realized that you are the divine being and i know that you need to go further for your mission and i cannot be killed but this is what is that this is the time for which i was waiting i have tested and tried you and i know you are divine and i will get liberated if you kill me so please big uh, dig a ditch very big enough where my body can be buried alive that is the only way he can be killed now if i look at it both the name dhumrakshas and the burying it is about these subconscious uh, forces in man which are very active you can't destroy them so in in that age dhumrakshas alive in the pit uh, will wake up in the <laughs> kalyug because it has to be transformed only shobindo supramental force can transform it so it's a very deeply symbolic story but let me read this part which is very fascinating uh, so um sita she tells rama that you are going to the forest and i'll accompany you and look at the speech now i'm sure people who have who, who have read sanskrit and read the original valmiki Uh, would appreciate the poetic beauty which is there in valmiki very extremely sensitive poet he is a man of the heart unlike the mahabharata seems to come right from the higher ranges very terse po- poem but with valmiki's poem it's a different story altogether but uh, shurbindo i go with thee this day deny who will nor aught shall turn me fear not thou lest i should burden thee since gladly i elect life upon fruits and roots and still before thee shall walk not faltering with fatigue eat only thy remnants after hunger satisfied this is the age he brings out the spirit of the age the feminine the woman of that age who is somebody would say it is weakness another way of looking at it is this is strength sublime strength tremendous strength 
nor greater bliss conceive oh i desire that life desire to see the large wide lakes the cliff of the great mountains the dim towns not frighten since thou art beside me this is so beautifully that you know i why it's a happy thing no i'll go into the forest and i'll see the lakes the mountains why should i be frightened because you are beside me and visit fair waters swan beset in lovely bloom in the heroic guard my life shall be a happy wandering among beautiful things so this is how she describes the entire and then finally she says and this is the kind of ideal so he brings out the ideal of the feminine now in modern time with a kind of a liberal education largely tainted with the western lens it has got completely corrupted so now this uh, equality is where the each nature arrives at its highest even among men like the kshatriya type the um, the vaishya type same with the with the women so there is the feminine which can touch its high peaks of glory and what is this um, glory that it it is touch touched so look at this uh, she is going for um, 14 years in exile with rama but what does she say thus if a hundred years should pass or many millenniums yet i should not tire nor change this is the kind of love it's not that it's 14 years therefore i am going with you but even if there was a millennium still i would be with you for wandering so not heaven itself would seem desirable but this were rather heaven o rama paradise and thou not there no paradise were to my mind i should grow miserable and reject the bliss i rather mid the gloomy and tangled boughs and sylvan haunts of elephant and ape clasping my husband's feet intent to lie obedient glad and feel about me home so this was the high ideal that those days was there both men and women it's not only about that women at the ideal even rama had to you know portray that highest kind just imagine now if you look at the degradation today okay people pick up one part which is about the abandonment banishment which are deeply symbolic things we have spoken about it and even if we take a blot on the life of rama if one wants to put it like that but look at their ideal on one side is sita choosing to be by the side of the husband even urmila she doesn't you know she chooses that life because somebody has to look after with this view but look at sita choosing to be by the side of her husband not knowing what is going to happen and her husband is a crown prince he is a king literally and uh, she doesn't curse the kingdom doesn't and she walks with him on the other side rama for the sake of his um, spouse he marches across to lanka uh, which in ordinary circumstances somebody would say why are you doing this either you renounce life or get married again why are you going and doing this he never gets married again that's the ideal of rama right till the end he never gets married again so this is the kind of love that sita and rama have portrayed and that's why it is said that history passes the final verdict we may say that oh rama did this and sita was this and that but in no temple of india you have sita without rama and rama without sita they are the portrayed as a kind of ideal couple whom death could not destroy part and even her going back to earth still they remain united they are strength of each other now this is something very fascinating 
Then Sita with the tears upon her face made answer very sad and low. Many sorrows and perils of that forest life because Rama says, are you sure, you know, you know what jungle life is? <laughs> Thou hast pronounced, discovered dreadful ills. O Rama, they are joys if born for thee. This is love. It's not duty. It is love because of which one is willing to bear anything. Oh, how can woman from a husband's arms divorce exist? Thine own words have revealed. Rama, it's sad impossibility. Then there is another part which is the Mahabharata. So in Mahabharata we see um, Shubhindra describing the Sabha Parv, the building of the hall, Indraprasth, and uh, the debated sacrifice, the slaying of Jarasandh, uh, then fragments, two renderings of the first Adhyaya, Udyog Parv, then the Bhagavad Gita, the first six, six chapters. So Shubhindra regarded the first six chapters of the Mahabharata as uh, of the Gita as the most important of all the uh, as the most important because uh, they set the foundation of the entire Gita so we read the same thing in uh, Shobindo's uh, Bangla writings where you know the commentaries on the Gita are there and those who want to know the line by line translation sloka by sloka so here we will find it so here also as well as in his Bangla writings Gita Bhumika so there first six chapters he has translated and he says very clearly that first six chapter Shri Krishna lays the foundation of the yoga which he expands in the next six chapter and gives it a f- culmination in the next six chapter so 18 chapters run as cycles of 6 plus 6 plus 6 and actually if you see the first six chapters start with Gyan Yoga Buddhi Yoga let your buddhi be sthit in me then it goes on to karma yoga and it ends with somebody who is concentrated and devoted to me constantly thinking of me so all the three aspects are there it goes as jnana karma and bhakti again we see in the next six chapters they are expanded there are some processes and who is the divine being towards whom we do bhakti who is krishna and then in the last six chapter again we see the jnana when it comes to you know the different aspects of nature and the different types of uh, you know devasuri sampada all these aspects which are about jnana the triguna nature and at the end it culminates in bhakti where entire surrender and refuge in god is commanded now there is another very interesting writing which shurabindo uh, wrote um, touched upon and that is uh, vidula now i'm sure some people may have heard about vidula it's a very fascinating story comes from the Mahabharata so Vidula is the story of um, you know when Sri Krishna goes to give the final message of as the Shanti Dut as the uh, ambassador of peace to Duryodhana so he tells and Duryodhana reject and that is history we all know so he goes to Kunti and says what is your message to my to your children because he is staying in uh, with the you know Korva family so, so it's very interesting because she had chosen that place as her own uh, battleground and uh, he asked that what is your message to your children because see now war is inevitable what do you advise so see in front of all the elders of the family she doesn't say anything directly she says tell them Krishna the story of Vidula 
So what is Vidla's story? Vidla's story is that <laughs> there is this uh, prince and who is defeated by the king of Jarasand. And he accepts the defeat and he says, okay, fine, I'll you know, live on whatever way, like a subject and slave. So Vidula, his mother, she comes and rouses him. He says, what kind of a wretched son you are? Is this what I expect of you? So he says, mother, why are you doing this to me? He says, what else? Better you die than actually, you know, live like a slave. He says, mother, you are being so harsh to me like an iron rod. You really want me to die? He says, yes, better you die than to live as a subject. And the dialogue goes on till finally the boy is roused. And he says, okay, I'll fight. And he fights and wins. So he doesn't say anything directly. But says, O Keshava, go and just recount this story in all the details as you know it. So see, Krishna says, this is the message of your mother. She knows very well that except Bhima, probably all other Pandavas may succumb to, okay, after all my brothers, Yudhishthira will speak of Dharma. Then Arjuna will always, you know, Dharma maybe, but my grandsire and all this. Only Bhima will say, and it's a fact that except Bhima and Draupadi, nobody wanted the war. They were all, not because they were afraid, but because of Dharma. Only Bhima was, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and, and Draupadi was very clear that she wants the war. So the story of Vidla is recounted and that too. Shobindo has beautifully, uh, you know. I wanted to read something on Arjuna and Sri Krishna in in the Gita as it is described beautifully here but for the moment we can leave it because it will make the whole thing very lengthy but the book is available and one can read it but just a little bit of the Vidula story so Shurabindo hearken to the ancient converse of which old traditions tell of the youthful Sanjay with his mother the indomitable Sanjay is the boy the prince so uh, Kunti is telling Krishna Hakin, listen, and all the elders are present. So they know now Kunti's mind very well. And they know what is going to happen. So like a Kshatriya mother. Vidula, the passionate princess, royal in her mood and form, it's all through Virras. Fairy souled, fiery souled, the resolute speaker with a tameless heart of storm, high her fame in kingly senates where the nation's princes met. This from the Mahabharata. But see the Shubhindu's translation. I mean, it captures a much deeper spirit. At least I have read the story, not the original Sanskrit. But it doesn't carry that kind of fire. Must be in Sanskrit, it must be there. But when you actually read Shubhindu's translation, looks like he has picked up the fire and put it in the body of English word. And this Vidula story and many others, uh, Shubhindu wrote during the um, 1905 to 1910 period. So it was his way of awakening the people. Eloquent and proud and learned with a soul-forcing fate, conquered by the king of Sindhu, hurled down from his lofty throne as he lay unnerved and abject, came she to her warlike son. Vidula, the passionate princess, and she spoke with burning eyes, scourging him with words like flakes of fire, bidding him arise. Son, she cried. Son, she cried, no son of mine to make thy mother's heart rejoice. <laughs> so powerful. And when you read the Bhavani Bharti, you get the similar um, you know, sense. Hark! Thy foemen mock and triumph, yet to live is still thy choice. <laughs> what is she saying? You want to live? 
when your enemies are crying and enjoying and laughing and mocking you want to choose to live nor thy hero father got thee nor i bore thee in my womb see i disown you and so does your father <laughs> you cannot be my child random changeling from some world of petty souls and coward gloom it seems you randomly come upon earth from some world of cowards <laughs> and then the boy says mother mother stony natured ore of pitiless iron black heaven collected and together forged thy dreadful heart to make mother mine heroic minded hide this deigning common mold that you are a mind you have the mind of the hero you disdain the common mold dreadful is the warrior code of ethics that our princes hold harsh devoid of love and sweetness thou my mother drivest me on to the battle like a stranger like another woman's son says as if i am somebody else's son you are sending me to war am i not thy child has any other in thy love a part <laughs> look what all he is saying to his mother yet thy words are harsh and ruthless will it please thy fiery heart if i lie in battle and cold and instead thou own the earth what were all life splendor what were bright and fair things worth when thine eyes seek me in vain will these things soothe their sad desire is i'll die mother <laughs> literally crying you will enjoy the earth you want to live after my death is this what you want but the mother answered still with words that breathed her soul of fire dear my son for joy and sorrow twofold is the great life scope to be righteous in our actions to fulfill each human hope private welfare high religion both alike should urge thee on whether you take the dharma standpoint or you take the standpoint of private welfare it has come at last the mightiest hour of all thy life o son so this is how you know it is i i i mean i am not an expert on sanskrit of vyasa uh, and valmiki but i can say that if you read this it looks like yahi kafi hai this is enough so he has breathed a new life in these scriptures he has breathed a new fire and this is an action this is spiritual action occult action of shirbindo that he picks up a fire which is still smoldering that's how he could say that what is india he says that though the it's like a mighty building and though its ramparts are broken still there is service paid to the eternal that is the hindu sanatan dharma and he says that this uh, the spirit of india that is never dead it smolders beneath the ashes and the day it rises there'll be no limit so this is the way he was reviving the ancient spirit of india and picking up see people know about all other thing but this dialogue little dialogue between the mother and son in a relatively unknown story vidula is something so remarkable the same thing he did with does with sabitri it's a story recounted in the mahabharata but of course he takes it far beyond the scope and then of course so vidula is the last one in this uh, second section of part 1 and then there is kalidas now kalidas we know is a very fascinating um, you know one of the greatest sanskrit poets perhaps the greatest shubindu says is the greatest and his images is um, extremely beautiful and he can blend 
so beautifully shringar ras and bring in the dharma element and the spiritual element so much in beautiful ways and it is said that he was probably one of the persons in king vikramaditya's court uh, as the story goes that his wife told him three sentences um, what have you brought for me about learning three words he took those three words and with each word wrote a mahakavya <laughs> so that was that is kalidas and there are lot of fables and legends about kalidas but uh, certainly shobinda has written series of essays on the age of kalidas and they are also there so yeah, kalidas is uh, not just any poet but imagine i sometimes feel that probably he himself must have been kalidas that kind of familiarity portrays and what stories he has chosen and shorbindo translates them vikram urvashi or the hero and the nymph now we know that in collected poems also shorbindo has written this entire episode of vikram urvashi and so we have talked about the story there and again as part of kalidas in a play form he writes vikram and the or the hero and nymph and the beauty of this is uh, it runs into several sections Uh, i have sometimes earlier also spoken of this it starts with a description of the himalayas somehow to me when i read this description or read this description it could only remind me of shirvinder sitting majestically on the sofa with both hands placed here but the description is of himalaya so that's how it a god mid hills northern himalaya rears his snow piled summits dizzy majesties and in the eastern and the western seas he bathes his giant sides lain down appears measuring the dreaming earth in an enormous ease such is himalaya just look at should be just apply it a god mid hills northern himalaya rears so there is a god whom the himalayas rear and what is that god his snow piled summits dizzy majesties if we try to rise to the heights we get dizzy and breathless and in the eastern and the western seas now this east and west can be the two streams or currents of life he bathes his giant sides lain down appears measuring the dreaming earth in an enormous ease so easily is measuring so this uh, is vikram urvashi is there and then there is um, another play the birth of the war god and this of course we know is about kumar sambhav it's but kalidas has given it a new twist so kumar sambhav is the story of the birth of kartike as we know tarkasura has got an impossible boon he cannot be killed except through a progeny of shiva and he believes that shiva will never marry he is an ascetic not knowing that shiva is going to become a trend setter <laughs> trending twitter <laughs> shiva gets married ascetic gets married so he believed that shiva will never get married that was his limitation but shiva initially says i won't get married so the divine mother is born as parvati and she tries to please shiva so this story of kalidas is primarily around the love and the pleasantries between shiva and parvati it's not so much about of course everything is there that finally kartike is born and you know she's because of the tapasya he is pleased but there is lot of shingar and love by through which he please she pleases shiva so this is the story of kumar sambhavam and then we have this uh, the third beautiful um, 
play by Kalidas is Raghuvansh. So Shivendra is translated is the line of Raghu. So it starts with he has narrated all the different progenies or ancestors of Lord Rama. It's because of him that we know all the ancestors. Starts with King Dilip. And how Raghu comes into birth. That's how the ancestry starts. And goes right through King Aj, then Sagar, Bhagirath, all these people, Dashrath, Rama, Kush. Many people ask that, what happened to love Kush? So Kalidas describes. So uh, when love and Kush go to two different directions, then the city of Ayodhya and her Godhead being goes and tells Kush, please come back because it's abandoned and barren. So Kush comes back. And he re-establishes and starts the kingdom of Ayutthaya. That's how the story goes. And then Kush has a progeny and further it goes right up to, uh, I think, uh, Agnimitra, one of the names. And all these uh, different, I think, 19 uh, generations from Dilip onwards and further down from Rama he has described. So that story is all, and Rama he has described almost the uh, major portions of Ramayana the, the Supankha episode, the banishment into the forest, the killing of Ravana, all the major episodes are described. So it's a massive work and um, very far-reaching in concept. Those who want to know um, that, you know, who were, who were the great ancestors of Rama, so there we will see. So Raghukul, we hear about Lord Rama as Raghukul. So Raghu is the son of Dilip. That's how the famous thing goes. Raghukul Rita Sada Chaliyai Pran Jaya Parvachanna Jai. So they, uh, they were known for holding their promises and the dharma. So this is what Raghuvansh. And finally the cloud messenger. So this is something which I have found very interesting for a different reason altogether. Cloud messenger is a very very sweet and touching tale of a yaksha who has been cursed or abandoned by Indra for his misbehavior or whatever, to be in the Vindhya mountains. You will not go anywhere. Now, that's okay. But his wife is in Alkapuri. So he doesn't know how to talk to her. Now, look at it. There were no uh, SMS, there were no mobiles. But what is the cloud messenger? Was he presaging internet? Because if you look at it from a purely scientific perspective, after all, what is internet? It goes into space through the electrical charges and goes back to the other, isn't it? But it's described in this way, that he catches a cloud and says, Oh cloud, I'm missing her so much. Please go and convey my message. Look at it, the message. <laughs> SMS. <laughs> so the cloud says, but why should I do it? So he gives him good reasons that you will never get to see such a beautiful place and such a beautiful maiden in your life as my wife and a city. So after some time, cloud says, okay, fine. <laughs> Tell me, describe, how is the place? So he describes Alkapuri. And then he says, okay, I'll go to Alkapuri. Then uh, how do I find my, my your wife? Then he describes the entire figure and form with such a marvel of beauty. You know, I think in Hellenic traditions you have this sense of physical beauty. But we lost it. But Kalidas revives it. Just the physical beauty and the form which he describes. Exquisitely beautiful. Actually, if you... I, I read it as a young adolescent. You can fall in love with the woman whom, you know, 
<laughs> Yaksha is describing all in every way and even her speech everything is so beautiful about her she is the gentlest of the gentle at the same i mean it's it's an amazing he has portrayed the most perfect feminine in his own way an idealized woman of kalidas becomes an idealized archetype in the world of men idealized feminine so in a way he was actually countering he was so much into the future that later on probably men will just see the outer appearances of what kind what really appearances should be what even the form should be not what our conception of outer beauty is which is largely you know not sensuous not even voluptuous but in a way something which is very loud perfume all this uh, i don't know lipstick and too much of uh, uh, outer things and the dresses but here he describes a idealized feminine beauty a beauty of form through the cloud messenger and i, I said maybe he was too much into the future and he had pre-says the age of internet when literally we'll send messages through the cloud so the so the cloud messenger it's one of the must reads it's very beautiful uh, i think plays have been done on it and uh, songs are also available i uh, long back i don't know whether it's available now or not i'd heard the whole thing on cassette uh make do thumbs uh, it's it's wonderful the the and if you can have get hold of the dance drama but please read shobindo's rendering uh, you know have i noted a little bit yeah no i, I haven't but anyways it's worth reading is something very beautiful then comes a very interesting person in section 4 of part 1 bharti hari bhartri hari Bhartri Hari has many legends around him he was uh, a king he was also a yogin and uh, but some people say that he was probably not a king but one of the prominent courtiers in a in uh, during a king's rule probably vikramaditya we don't know but he is very much close to the age of kalidas but kalidas is marvelous majestic bhartri is bhartri hari is more restricted but within those limits he brings in lot of beauty he is more moral and uh, ethical whereas kalidas is more aesthetic uh, more beauty oriented kalidas has his own ethics which he brings out but his ethics is based on aesthetics whereas bhartri hari is more on the limited uh, you know moral understanding of life so it's called niti shatakam the 101 the century of life later on people have added all kinds of things around him but shurbindu says that uh, one is niti shatakam niti is not just morality but in general the way of understanding life and uh, how it you know operates and giving us certain advices words of wisdom so niti shatakam is that and there are 100 um, uh, you know the verses there and shurbindu has translated all of them so here comes two of them there are plenty which are very good one of them is supposedly based on his own story that i gave uh, the king gave or rather the dancer gave uh, the 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 tapasvi gave the uh, fruit to the king and the king passed it on to his wife and the wife passed it on to the minister whom she loved and the minister passed it on to the courtesan whom she loved he loved and the courtesan gave it back to the king because she loved him it says fire upon love <laughs> this kind of love which exists upon earth but this may not be actually uh, his own life maybe but it definitely is a tale which describes human love with a very sharp 
uh, and you know almost like a verdict that this is what human love is you think that you love the person yes the person will portray that the person loves you but actually she loves somebody else now she loves somebody else she believes that she loves him and he loves her but he loves someone else and so it goes on but th- this love which you have released in the world will come back to you but from a very unexpected source so eventually the, this love comes back to him but through a courtesan he had never imagined and that's how he gets the shock of his life when the same amrit phal <laughs> goes and it's a very wonderful and he has told this in one of the you know verses so one is a choice is very interesting and uh, people often make a choice to live in some place you know some want to go to paradise some to heaven some in a very you know beautiful place with this or that facilities so bhartri hari says better where this actually this phrase is well known in english better where this to roam in deserts wild on difficult mountains and by desolate pools a savage life with wild beasts reconciled better it is better than what so i'll read again better where this to roam in deserts wild on difficult mountains and by desolate pools a savage life with wild beasts reconciled than paradise itself mated with fools <laughs> you may be in paradise but with fools around it's not worth it better you roam in the savages <laughs> wild <laughs> and this one is one of my favorites a parable of fate so how fate operates so he brings out that paradox a serpent in a basket crushed despaired in whose basket the sapera the snake charmer's basket his organs all with hunger weak and worn because that's how they keep na otherwise he'll become active and bite his organs all with hunger weak and worn while patiently at night the mouse prepared a hole in that self basket why because he is also hungry he says i'll make a hole and go and eat something earth the man by his own industry such nature's law the patient laborer fills the serpent's maw so the hole is there he prepares so that he can eat something your mouse is also hungry mouse can eat through it and the snake is all worn out doesn't know what will happen to me nature's law so by his own industry the mouse is laboring to fill the serpent's belly so he enters the serpent eats the mouse and comes out through the same hole that's how the fate operates so this is uh, it continues he with that food replenished who is he the serpent he with that food replenished by the way the mouse had made escaped O world, O world, behold the mighty master of thy sad decay, and fortunate rising fate, the Godhead old. That you know, that's how fate operates. You may be downtrodden in a worse state right now. Who knows? The next moment you will be a free person, all roaming. And right now you think you are the king because you can do anything, enter anywhere, and you are preparing for your own death, for your own danger. So. Shubindu says, Kalidas and Bhartri Hari are the two mightiest masters of the characteristic classical style as it was at its best 
before it degenerated into over curiosity over curiosity is where the mind becomes very active and we know that uh, in this whole thing the he also translated in section 5 um, opening of kirat arjun this we know that kirat arjun is a, in fact regarded as the most powerful sanskrit epic drama Uh, written by bhavari and he, this is about that little episode it's full of virras and it's about so we see that should be at that time baji prabhu all this were about virras so it's about uh, that little episode when uh, all the pandavas are in exile and um, bhima and draupadi say that you guys are useless i'll go and fight and yudhishthir says what is the use stay cool and all then krishna comes and he says arjun and indra god indra also appears and he he tells him all this discussion you can do later right now prepare in case there is war you should be prepared so this is what i have to do you have to do penance so one year he goes to do penance now in this kirat arjun all this is described so when he is doing penance indra gets uh, he has advice and he gets this thing frightness rise and all the apsaras and he wants krishna to fall in love with the apsaras but the apsaras fall in love with krishna uh, with arjuna because he carries some anush of krishna so he says what is this <laughs> he has given an interesting twist to the whole story and then ultimately there is this devan muka who becomes that wild boar and arjun and uh, shiva as kirat he comes and they both shoot an arrow and actually uh, kirat or shiva as kirat pierces and arjun also pierces so arjun says this is my my hunt so he says no this mine i pierced first sarjun so says who are you can challenge me you really think you are somebody <laughs> just come out of my way so he says acha is it so prove your worth he says are you sure you will be dropped dead within a minute so he says no no you prove yourself so there is a fight which ensues between shiva askirat and arjuna the tapasvi and <laughs> at the end arjuna says nobody can fight with arjuna the mighty armed arjuna for so long the fact that you have done and made me nishastra literally you cannot be a human being you have to be none else but shiva yourself and then he lies at his feet and shiva appears and gives him pashupatastra so there is the story of pashupatastra the most devastating weapon in the entire history of um, you know old age time weapon it's not brahmastra it's not agniastra it's pashupatastra because it's the weapon of shiva the destroyer fortunately arjun never used it but in one moment it could destroy not even the earth but even the planet so that was the power but he had it and that's why in that opening of mahabharata everybody discusses who can destroy in how much time so bhishma can do it in one day and dronacharya says in 6 uh, days and karna says 10 days i can destroy the entire pandava army and when all this news reaches yudhishthir he says arjun we are banking upon you how much time will you take he says if i want in a moment i can destroy the entire army he says how he says because apashpatastra it's a different thing that krishna had advised him and he followed it never to use it he said i can destroy in one moment because pashupatastra is like everything is gone whomever you direct towards is decimated within a moment and much other kinds of destruction because it's like a tandav 
So that aspect, Shobindu wanted to take up. Obviously, it's tremendous virus, but only a little fragment. But it shows the kind of uh, affinity or or what was Shobindu bringing out the virus from all over. So Vidula, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana where Sita follows because you know that was the time when uh, men were going for sacrifice. And what if their wives didn't support them? What if they said, no, 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 you be a family person. So all that we see throughout, running through. And even in Kalidas, when we look at it, you know, again, Vikram Urvashi is also a heroic tale. He conquers in the Devasur Sangram. That's how he, you know, and cloud messenger that even if you have to be away, there are ways and means through which you can connect the line of Raghu, Raghuvansh. So Kumar Sambhav, the war god, birth of the war god. So all these are where we see that tremendous virus coming and at the end of it, this part one, we have Shankaracharya's Bhavani, uh, Bhavani Ashtakam, but only uh, part of it, Shurabindu is disc- uh, translated, not the entire, father nor mother, daughter nor son are mine, I obey no master, served am I by none, learning or means I have not, wife nor kin, my refuge thou Bhavani, thou alone. Gatistvam, Gatistvam, Gatistva Bhavani. Charity I have not learned, yoga nor trance, mantra nor hymn nor tantra have I known, worship nor dedications, covenants, my refuge thou Bhavani, thou alone. Virtue is not mine nor holy pilgrimage, salvation or world's joy I have never won, devotion I have not, mother, no vows I pledge, my refuge thou Bhavani. Thou alone. So this is the part one. Part two, translations from, from Bengali. This mainly Vaishnava devotional poetry. And we will not go into it, but they mainly it is Chandidas. Actually we have touched upon it in collected poems. Where it is written as inspired from Chandidas. The reason why they have written inspired is because Sri Aurobindo's translations are the Bhava translation. He brings the spirit. Without losing the substance and the basic thing. And he says that in the beginning. That to translate, uh, this is the process. Actually he says that somewhere in the beginning. Yes, so he speaks about translation. The principle of translation followed has been to preserve faithfully the thought, spirit and images of the original. But otherwise to take the full license of a poetical rendering. Because it's poetry. That is the problem with translating Shurabindo's poems or Savitri. You can't do a word by word translation into a sentences. You may be faithful to the words, but you are not faithful to the spirit and the rhythm, its sound. So he has kept that and we see it's a poetic translation. So the images will be there, the thought will be there. So actually that's why the mother says Savitri is untranslatable. And then she said you can do it for your own joy, like she did in French. But it is not something to be translated and you know, uh, sold or read like that. Because it cannot be that. The only one which comes a little close is Vidyavati Kokals because it's in words and portions done by Nalini Dai in Bengali. But otherwise, if you don't have the rhythm, you just cannot translate it. And uh, he, both Mother and Shubhinder have spoken about it. In translation from one European tongue into another, a careful literalness may not be out of place. For the genius, sentence, structure and terms of thought of European languages are not very dissimilar. But the gulf between Sanskrit and English in these respects is very wide. And any attempt at close verbal rendering would be disaster. So he has made it very clear that that's not the way to be followed. 
and then you have the famous so there are plenty of them nidhu babu horo thakur gonadas and vidyapati and uh, i mean those who are familiar we can go back vidyapati songs are amazing just to read them actually when i had read the translation so i went back to vidyapati songs because i said let me read <laughs> extremely sensuous sublimation of a most human vital love into the higher spiritual that's what vaishnava poetry actually tried human love of the most sensuous kind and lifted to a great heights but shurbindo later on remarked that uh, all could not sustain it so many fell so all love became in some people all lust because it's very difficult to do that but they tried it and then we have bankim chandra where bande matram has been translated and of course uh, 15 13 or 15 chapters of bande matram initially 13 then two were added it's not complete translation of the entire book but he has translated from bengali to english and again we can understand those were the times when this was needed and shubhendra spoke of bankim chand chatterjee as a rishi and he gave the mantra bande matram so we have that translation uh, then section 3 is chitranjan das songs of the sea this is a very strange story shubhendra never wanted to translate it <laughs> so <laughs> but it reminds me of the story of yagnavalk yagnavalk needed the cows so he goes and tells in king janak that uh, well i don't know whether i am the greatest brahman knower or not but for my ashram i need the cows so you can pack the cows for me and that's when people question him so that was the time when shurbindo needed money he was so hard pressed they didn't know what is going to come next so chitranjan das approached him and requested to translate his uh, bengali poems into english for 1000 rupees this is the story <laughs> he is the one who had fought for shurbindo and you know uh, of course but uh, he said i i will give the money but can you translate with your name and of course this was shubindo's way of also connecting with him his consciousness but he says at, at in one of the i think evening talks he says my heart was not into it i mean it was not he says is good poetry but like that shows also that he was not just picking up good poetry there was something else he was seeing but this one was an exception <laughs> <laughs> only exception and then you have disciples and others in which uh, we have anil baran roy dujendra lal roy uh, dilip kumar roy um, jyotirmay niroddha nishikant and sahana my favorite is um, sahana di poem so let me just uh, read that poem and then we go to that last part sahana di's poem is very beautiful touching though he says that in many poems like nishukanto dilipora but the one that should be this translated it's there available in this book it's worth etching and putting in the you know one's own house as a constant reminder the poem runs it's in bengali should be this translated into english since thou hast called me since thou hast called me see that i go not from thee surrounding me stand so beautiful it's all flow from the soul it's your responsibility you have called me make sure that i don't go away from you surround me stand in thy own love's diviner way make me to love thee without end so beautiful it is <laughs> i don't have the capacity to love you but you have your love on that i lean my hope make me love you till you know without end my fathomless blackness has thou cleft with thy infinity of light 
Sanadi is a very interesting, you know, she used to write to mother and Shurabinda would reply. She would write in Bengali. <laughs> but mother. And Shurabinda would reply. She is the one who would see, write, wrote once, hey, you know, I need to, I, I have strong desire to eat this, that and all these things. And at the end, Shurabinda writes, eat your desire. <laughs> so that way. And Many other very beautiful stories of Sahanadi. Her book is very uh, beautiful book where uh, it's called 40 years, hence of 40 years, just 40 years, 40 long years. Forget the book. I don't know whether it's available now or not. But if you can catch hold of it, it's there on Aroma if I'm not mistaken. And it's an amazing book about uh, how she came and how she lived and her question answer. She's the one who asked that when people speak against you, uh, others say it's okay, but my heart gets inflamed. What should I do? And Shubhindu speaks about taking the stand, which is there in, you know, one of his famous letters. So, this is Sahanadi. So, my fathomless blackness has thou cleft with thy infinity of light. Then, waken in my mortal voice thy music of illumined sight. She was a singer. I think tailoring department was started by her, if I am not mistaken. Is that right? Uh, so, tailoring department. Huh. So, uh, and of course, she was a singer. Those were the days in the ashram when it was not like, okay, fixed thing. And, um, uh, you know, she would sing so beautifully. She went through a lot of pain. That's a different thing. She came with Dilip Kumar Roy. Uh, one of the first examples of, you know, people coming together like a couple and then both went through their own issues and how Shirobindo would give uh, letters to both uh, in a different way. It was something like not judgmental, but to each one he is showing the way. Make me thy eternal journey's mate, tying my life around thy feet. Let thy own hand my boat unmoor, Sailing the world thyself to meet. I cannot unmoor my boat. You take away all the attachments that tie to the shore. Fill full of thee my day and night. Let all my being mingle with thine. And every tremor of my soul echo thy flute of flutes divine. See the merger mingle with thine. She is the one who said I cannot meditate. But when I sit for meditation, I imagine myself putting my head in the mother's lap. And Shubhindu says that is the best possible meditation. She is the one who saw Sri Krishna fusing with Shubhindu. And asked him, what did I see? Is it true? He said, Shubhindu's reply, who else but Krishna can unite with me? Can you imagine that? Who else? <laughs> come, in my, come in thy chariot, charioteer, and drive me whither thou wouldst go. All within me and all my acts make luminous with surrender's glow. So these are the poems and then there is amazing translations from Tamil and we'll see three main names. Andal, Nammalwar and um, Kulakshar Alwar. So Alwars are a group of 12 um, saints. They were regarded as love with, uh, mad with the love of God, right? And they were drowned in the ocean of love of God. And all were amazing. So, this is some 3000 years before Christ. And Shubindu says while translating it that it is impossible to translate the beauty of Tamil language in any other language. 
Shobindu says. He says, so I have tried, but it cannot be done. So once there were a lot of people, you know, anti this agitation and spoke about uh, Tamil. I said, you people don't know. Read your own history and read what I did in a letter to one of the politicians. See what Shobindu has spoken about the Tamil language and the, he has translated the very soul of Tamil people. And he says that it's, it's impossible to translate that beauty and turn of the language. That's how he puts it. But he has done it. So this he did in early years of Pondicherry. And so Alvars are uh, these 12 saints. It's a whole lineage. Like you have, you know, the Guru Parampara in different places. Of which there is only one female saint. And that is Andal. So they are all Vaishnav poetry. Primarily Vaishnav poetry. And even there is a Shaivite. But Shobindu has given the, uh, you know, the Vaishnav aspect of uh, Bhakti. And uh, one of them, Nammalwar. I think Maran, that was his name. Just correct me if I am wrong. But I think it was, uh, you know, he also known as Namalwar. So he is, I think, the fifth or the sixth in that whole generation. So Namalwar, right from childhood, had this meditative thing. And it's said that probably he didn't speak. He was so absorbed in meditation. Then there is the story of Madhava, uh, one of the first disciples who recognized. He was roaming all over northern India. To find a realized person, then he sees a light which led him all the way down south, just like Amrita saw the light. And at the last, when Shirobindo comes, he saw the light at his feet. So, uh, Madhava travelled all the way, led by that light which disappeared in the village where Namalwar was there. And he goes and sees Namalwar in deep meditation, closing his eyes. So he waits and waits and waits, nothing. So he tries and tries and tries, nothing. Then he picks up a big stone and with a great force bangs it on the ground. Then he opens the eyes but remains the same still person. And then he asks him, uh, what is that question? Um, what happens to the child when it is born in, in the, born in death, born to death? What does it eat and what does it live on? So the... <laughs> Because he had roamed around, he had lot of experiences of his own kind, the disciple. So, Namalwar replied, It eats on it, that eats on it and lives on it. So, that child is the soul and that um, death is, is born into death is matter. So, he says it lives <laughs> on itself and cryptic reply. The crypt, question is cryptic and the answer is as cryptic. So his poem, Shobindu, is translated. And I'll just see one little poem of Namalwar, which I find very, very fascinating because it's prophetic. 587. 587, with which we can end. Because after that, there are some Greek, Latin, epigrams, portion of Homer's Iliad, all this he has translated. So it's a huge work. And if you include the ones which he has translated from Sanskrit into Bengali and Vedas, Upanishads, so it will run into several volumes. So this one is um, Golden Age. So this is Nammalwar's hymn of the Golden Age. Something he had seen those days far back. So he writes, We have seen, we have seen, we have seen. Seen things full sweet for our eyes. Come, all ye lovers of God, let us shout and dance for joy with oft-made surrenderings. Why do they roam 
on earth singing songs and dancing the hosts of krishna who wears the cool and beautiful tulsi the desire of the bees now he was this a vision of the gopis and gopis because he has seen he has seen them all around and then he says the iron age shall change it shall fade it shall pass away much later shobindu in the moonlight in one of his poems which is prophetic it says the iron age has ended only now the last fierce spasms of the dying world shall shake the nations and when that is past earth raised of its ill shall raise a fairer, fairer brow and there he says the iron age shall change it shall fade it shall pass away the god shall be in our midst the mighty golden age shall hold the earth and the flood of the highest bliss shall swell for the hosts of a dark hued lord shama dark hued like the cloud dark hued like the sea widely they enter in singing songs and everywhere they have seized on their stations i saw the omnipotent flaming pioneers come crowding down the ember stairs of birth he has seen that hosts who will come into this mortal life and invade the heart with bliss and beauty invade and beauty conquer the resisting world is stealth of god compel the heart to bliss and beauty conquer the resisting world so these are the and of course a long poem this also is part of the moonlight where shubhendu speaks about the the vishnu's disk which has been hurled upon earth the these hosts of the lord of the discus they are here to free this earth of the devourers of life disease and hunger and vengeful hate and other things of evil and sweet are their songs as they leap and dance extending wide over earth go forth ye lovers of god and meet these hosts divine with right minds serve them and live and it ends with in all these rising worlds they have thronged and wide they spread those beauteous forms of krishna the unclad rudra is there indra brahma all the iron age shall cease to be do we but unite and serve these namaste